It really behooves Trotz to find Pajot a finisher. Dobson bounced back so nicely against the Bruins. You got to bring it up, right? The, the power play has started two for 17. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 65 as the 21 NHL season has begun. Hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross. Please find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday, and please check out Newsday's new subscriber service for Islanders fans, Newsday's Islanders Text. You can either text 631-303-3766 or go to newsday.com backslash text to sign up. It is a great way to communicate one-on-one with me. The Islanders open the season by splitting a pair of blowout shutout games at the Garden against the Rangers, then grinding out a one nothing win over the always playoff-ready Bruins at Nassau Coliseum on Monday in what we absolutely believe this time will be the last home opener ever at the Old Barn. Next up for the Islanders is two games against the Devils, Thursday at the Coliseum and Sunday at the Rock in Newark, and... Thank you to the NHL schedule schedulers for blowing up my day of sitting at home and watching the AFC and NFC championship games. No matter, I, I get to see hockey, so I'm not complaining. You know, maybe I'll DVR it, although, you know, Twitter will probably blow that for me. But, hey, to preview that home-and-home home series, I'll, I'll be talking to Bleacher Report's Abby Mastraco, who has covered the Devils since I moved over to cover the Islanders. And after that, we'll do some Andrew's answers with questions submitted via both Newsday Islanders text and Twitter. But first, let me give you five quick thoughts on what I've seen so far from the Islanders through their first three games. And let's start with the obvious. Semyon Varlamov. He's picked up right where he left off in the postseason with back-to-back shutouts in his first two starts, becoming the first Islanders goalie to accomplish that, and only the 14th goalie in NHL history to do so. Cal Clutterbuck shot under Varlamov's mask that knocked a Varley woozy before Saturday's 5-0 loss to the Rangers, uh, which became Ilya Sorokin's unfortunately forced NHL debut, is really the only thing that's deterred Varley so far. And Casey Sezikis was asked whether the Islanders' kangaroo court uh, fined Clutter for that for that high shot in uh, pregame warm-ups. And uh, Sezikis, really without much of a laugh, said uh, said his line mate knew what he had done and uh, just kind of about left it at that. But what I like about Varlamov so far is he's tracking the puck extremely well through traffic. He, he's been extremely well positioned. There's, there's no diving. There's no stretching to make saves. He looks completely confident and comfortable, and given the unique circumstances of a rapid 10-day training camp without any preseason games, I'd say that's pretty impressive uh, how strong he's looked right here at the start. Um, Second thought, also an obvious one, 
Coach Barry Trotz is going to have to find some permanent line mates for Jean-Gabriel Peugeot. Trotz loves rolling four lines, and so far, he's only had three, really, while he floats Peugeot, using him in Matt Martin's spot with Sezikis and Clutterbuck at times, almost always using him for defensive zone face-offs, and, and on at least one shift that I saw on Monday, um... He had him in Jordan Eberle's spot with Matthew Barzell and Captain Anders Lee, although that might have been a line shift uh, change where Pajot was out there, but I I, I really didn't think so. It, it did look set up. Um, let's see, Kiefer, Kiefer Bellows has been on one wing, Ross Johnson on the other with Pajot. Um, based on practice on Tuesday, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Michael Dalcal gets activated off injured reserve. He's out uh, with a undisclosed issue and put on uh, put in Johnston's spot on Thursday. Um, but still, it, it really behooves Trotz to find Pajot a finisher on at least one wing. C- can Bellows be that player? Maybe. Will it be Oliver Wallstrom eventually? Maybe. But will Trotz have to tinker with his other combinations to help out Pajot? Perhaps getting Eberly or Josh Bailey on Pajot's line? Well, I, you know, that, that wouldn't shock me if, if that is coming down the pike, uh, if this doesn't get resolved. Also, you know, moving on, you have to love the fact that Noah Dobson, um, look, Noah was just one of many bad Islanders in that 5 nothing loss on Saturday, and his really bad turnover led to the Rangers' first goal as, as things went downhill for the Islanders. But, but Dobson bounced back so nicely against the Bruins, and still just 21. He, he's going to have his rough moments as he gets adjusted to this full-time role after the coaching staff really eased him into the deep end of the pool. Uh, with with how they handled them last season. And if you remember, the Islanders had a choice of keeping Dobson on their roster or sending him back to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. And, and the determination was that Dobson's development would not be served any further uh, going back down to juniors. And in fact, uh, Noah could pick up some bad habits because his talent was just better than than that league at that point. So they kept him up, but they only played him in 34 regular season games. He did get into game six against the Lightning in the conference finals. Noah was uh, on Zoom with the media, first time he's uh, been made available this season, and he was talking about uh, just he now gets it. He now gets what the coaching staff was doing. He said it was frustrating at times not playing, but uh, he had the time in the off season to really think about it. He could, you know, he he was very motivated coming into the season because he didn't get a chance to play much last season. But he gets it. He can look back with some clarity on what Trotz and the coaching staff was trying to do with him. Um, and he also said about how much confidence just playing in that one postseason game, a uh, 2-1 overtime loss uh, in that thriller uh, to the Lightning, who who did go on to win the Stanley Cup final. Noah said that was huge for his confidence and his development as well. He's playing regular minutes now. He's quarterbacking uh, Matt Barzell's power play unit with Jordan Eberle, Anders Lee, and uh, defenseman Ryan Pulak. 
Um, and every time you talk to Trotz or one of Dobbers, uh, Dobson's teammates, you, you can hear the excitement at, at how good they know this kid can be. So that, that is a good sign. And like I said, there will be hiccups in the road uh, at still just 21 years of age. I, I just thought it was a really good sign that he bounced back so well against the Bruins. And speaking of uh, Ryan Pulak, him and Adam Pellick have just seemed to have taken it up a notch as a top pair duo. And, and for the sake of this argue, uh, you know, conversation, I'm just going to throw out that Rangers... Uh, you know, the 5 nothing loss to the Rangers. Uh, I'm going to say Pulak and Adam Pellick have, have taken it up a notch. Uh, both have been really strong physically in games 1 and 3 for sure. Tighten their positioning. And again, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume that that, that game against the Rangers is, is not what we're going to see frequently this season. Uh, and, and Pellick and Pulak is is befitting their their designation really is the top pair duo uh they, they've been doing this against mainly the top lines and, and that's going to continue uh through this season and, and lastly uh, you got to bring it up right that the power play has started two for 17 and, and the way both units have been either pinned in their zone at times or just fumbled in attempts to get through the get through the neutral zone it, it has been somewhat disturbing you know especially after watching uh how they you know they they missed opportunities through the postseason last year. Now, three games in, I, I don't want to be an alarmist. I, I don't want to be chicken little about the power play. It, it's just three games. They got 53 to go, uh, provided they can navigate through this COVID-19 pandemic. But, you know, uh, it, it hasn't been great so far. Uh, and again, this is, you know, they were... Uh, what two for eight in that first game against the Rangers? Um, two of the the four goals did come on the power play, so you know that's kind of a glass half full. You're like, well, you know, two power play goals per game that'll that'll do you right. But uh, you know, uh, then you know you talk to some of the players after the game and they say, well, eight power play chances, we should get at least two. Um, still, you know. If two for eight, if the Islanders go along at a 25% clip this season, that'll put them right up there in the league. So, uh, but, but two for 17 is, is another matter. And, you know, in, in general, the, the offense, again, is save for that first period against the Rangers when they scored three, three goals. Um, really the offense has not been, you know, consistent enough and, you know, per naturalstatric.com, the Islanders were 22nd in the NHL with 18 high danger chances for through those three games. Um, but, and, and this kind of ties back to uh, Varlamov's performance, the Islanders were a solid sixth in the league with just 15 high danger chances against. So, you know, uh, through three games, you know, a bit of good, a, a bit of places where they know they can get better. But uh, again, no preseason. So 
things are going to be a, lo a little bit rocky for for more than just the Islanders here in the early going. And uh, and with that, uh, uh, we're going to move on. And uh, here's my chat with my friend, Abby Mastraco of Bleacher Report, um, who could certainly give me some lessons on being a multimedia reporter with her extensive, varied, and uh, very successful resume. So as I said, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be talking to uh, my next guest, Abby Mastraco. Um, you you've read her you've seen her on tv she's done pretty much everything in this field currently a national writer for bleacher report um she she like i did covered the devils for northjersey.com and the bergen record um abby thank you so much for joining us it's great to uh talk to you i know we uh we got to see each other uh, at the garden. that was an interesting Interesting experience so far. Uh, empty arenas. It's getting. I've never had to get a nasal swab before a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. First, but, but you know what? I mean, not for nothing. I felt pretty safe in the garden. You know, I did too. Yeah. After the rapid test, I, I didn't. I didn't think that they did a bad job with that. But uh, I, I definitely want to kind of dissect Islanders Devils coming up with you, Abby. The dawning of a yet another new era. With the uh, with the Devils, with with uh, Lindy Ruff taking over, and you know we we thought you know five years ago or six years ago when Ray Shiro took over, and you know you bring in John Hines, it, it looked like that organization was turning the corner, but it, it fell apart rapidly there. What what have you seen out of the Devils? You know their first few games to indicate that you know they are going to build something more sustainable this time around. If if you have seen anything, yeah, I mean, it's so Ray Shiro and then by extension Tom Fitzgerald, the current GM. Their whole plan was to build a team that would win sustainably, so they didn't have to overspend on big free agents and and you know get some bad long-term contracts on the book because when ray took over they were in a ton of trouble with the cap they didn't have any prospects that is the rebuilding process this has become somewhat of an ardu arduous extended rebuilding process but they do they are finally seeing some returns from some of their prospects i think mackenzie blackwood is the best one to start with they are getting excellent goaltending from him and goaltending was sort of the Achilles heel for the Devils the last few years. Um, and they weren't getting what they expected out of Keith Kincaid and Corey Schneider. And then in comes Mackenzie Blackwood, and he is giving the Devils a chance to win on a nightly basis as a rookie the last, you know, last season and even a little bit the season before. And he's picked up right where he left off. Obviously, their goaltending plan sort of fell apart with Corey Crawford retiring. That's going to be the challenge for them. But then you see guys like Igor Sharangovich with his overtime winner against, uh, against Boston, a, a pretty tough Boston team. Damon Severson, who is not a young kid at this point, but he is, he's a homegrown player that they are finally seeing some really good returns on. He's matured into his game, and he's the best defenseman the Devils have. He's playing a, a really good game. So I think – that's where you we are finally starting to see some returns on those tumultuous rebuilding years. A rebuild is never an easy thing. It's it's never a fun thing. Um, you know, I think maybe they overachieved a few years ago when they went to the playoffs. Well, they had Taylor Hall. They did, ha yeah. <laughs> and he just carried that team that season. <laughs> he did, and they got lucky. And but it was, I think that. 
I think internally they understood that maybe they were not where they um, should have been for, or that where they could be in a pro they weren't in a position to like build on that playoff run at the time. They didn't have the prospects. They, they weren't far, far enough in the rebuilding process and they just sort of kept at it, kept trying to rebuild last year. They went all in and it didn't work uh, this year. It's going to be a tough, this is still going to be a tough year for them. I don't know that this is going to be, they could be a plucky underdog in the East division. Yeah. If, if, if they, Mackenzie Blackwood, you know, if, it, if his, if he keeps playing the way that he's playing and, and they get another goalie in there who can steal a few, they could be a, a they could be a good underdog story and maybe make some noise. Um, it's a tough division though. Yeah. Real tough division. Well, I, I, I notice, I mean, and they, they skate fast and, and, and they've always skated fast. You know, they were skating fast, you know, when, when Heinze was there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but they seem to be a little more focused in their skating. You know, notice their, their, their first couple of games against the Bruins. I, you know, obviously a shootout and an overtime, they split those two games to so three points out of four games. I, I you know, they, they are fast, and I think fast teams can give the Islanders trouble a little bit. Uh, I don't know. They looked, the Islanders looked pretty good in that first game against the Rangers. They kind of gobbled up the Rangers' speed. Uh, the, the, yeah, the Devils can skate. That, that's never been a question. Their, their problem has been their blue line. And have, right. if, if they can possess the puck, then they can skate. But they've had sort of a, I don't know, a rotating cast of characters on the blue line. It has improved. Damon Severson gives them a really good look. Ty Smith's been great his first two games. Um, Sammy Vatnin's coming back. I've, I've always liked Sammy. I covered him on the Ducks. He's a really, really tough player. Um, the one that I'm still sort of questioning is P.K. Subban. He didn't look great in those first two games. You know, the Devils, I think against the Islanders, the Islanders are just such a tough, structured team. Right. If they can get the Devils out of their structure, then, yeah, you like the Islanders' chance. But if the Devils can stay focused in their skating, I, I you know, they can – they can do some damage. And the Islanders, you know, you, you mentioned their structure and how they look. And, you know, you look at the Islanders and it's a lot of what you used to see from the Devils and the Devils oh. glory days, you know, because, <laughs> well, because of Lou being here. But, you know, you mentioned the rebuild they're going in. And, you know, when Ray took over, the cupboard was a little bit bare, you know, when Lou mm -hmm. left there. And, you know, and I know I think that gets some Islander fans a little nervous about Lou being here is, is the way he left things with the devils a little bit, but, but you know, that's what happens when you win though. I mean, yeah. you don't end up with high draft picks. So then you got to make sure that you're drafting right, that you're, you know, you are, and you've got the right development plan in place. Um, you know, you hear about some of these older um, scouting directors, Ken Danico put it great to me. He said, some of these guys um, who been around the league for a long time have a tendency to lose their fastball when they yeah. when it comes to drafting and development. So you, you have to make sure that you have the right people in place and the right development structure in place when you're not going to get these high draft picks, because that kind of is the cost of, of winning. Sometimes you, you, you make a trade in mid season for a player that can help you win a championship that year and you're giving up a prospect. So it's the systems in place that are going to lead to sustained success. 
you, you mentioned Mackenzie Blackwood, and I agree with you. He's one of the, you know one of the finest young goalies in in the league. I, I really believe that the, the Devils have their number one goalie uh, going forward. But I guess the question is, how many games is he going to have to play this season out of fifty six? You know, with, with, with Crawford being gone. Um, so, do you have any insight? You know, other than what we read about what happened with Corey and and what led to his decision and where the the Devils might turn in that. Uh, well, they claimed Aaron Dell off waivers. They've are they've they also have um, Eric Comrie, who is in quarantine right now, in anticipation and, and, of potentially joining the team. I guess they. they and, and Wedgwood, right? I don't know that they've necessarily made a decision. Yeah. Yeah, and Scott Wedgwood's there. He's the backup for right now. I think they want to let um, Evan Cormier and uh, Gilles Sen continue to develop in the AHL, although I believe one is on the taxi squad right now. Um, this is going to be a big year. This is a big development year for the Binghamton Devils. They were pretty good last year, and they, they would have gone to the postseason had the season not been canceled. And having that experience for your young guys is really invaluable for a team that's trying to rebuild. So I, I think they would like to let Cormier and Sen play in some um, positions where they're set up to succeed, you know, not positions where they're set up to – face 37 shots from the Bruins. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm not sure who is going to end up sort of grabbing that spot right now. It's Wedgwood. The, the plan for Mackenzie Blackwood the last, last season and had this season not been shortened what it was, it, they wanted to do about a 60-40 split, which is pretty common these days. Yeah. You have 1A and 1B. And Lindy said after Crawford retired, he said, we may not be able to do that at this point. I, Mackenzie Blackwood can't play but they played two games. You can't play 54 more. <laughs> I, something in the uh, 40s might be realistic, yeah, I would think. It, it might be the mid to high 40s. Yeah. yeah. I would say 45 or more probably. Yeah. You, you mentioned Binghamton and goalies. And, you know, the former Devils netminder, Corey Schneider, is now – he's actually a third goalie on the Islanders' 23-man roster because yeah. the Islanders are – a little nervous about putting him through waivers to get him to uh, onto the taxi squad. It, Corey spent some time at Binghamton last season in the A, trying to build his game back up. W what's your score scouting report on where Corey is at this point in his career? And if the Islanders needed him, would he be able to give them a, a few good spot starts here and there? I don't think you can give him as many as they wanted to in the last couple seasons, but yeah, I think Corey Schneider can still, he could still steal a few. Uh, he looked pretty good at the end of last season and the season before that too. He looked after he had uh, gotten hurt and played in the A for a few games. Uh, you know, it says a lot about Corey's character. You and I both know him and, and know how great of a guy he is in the room yeah. and, um, he was willing to go put in the work and be around some of the guys in the AHL and help them as well. Uh, he had Jack Hughes living with him when that decision actually happened. And then Jack, which forced Jack to then go get his own apartment. You know, uh, Corey and Jill took in Jack Hughes. That, that's just kind of the guy that Corey is in terms of, you really root for him, but in terms of his playing, yeah, I think if you're going to use him for maybe, I don't know, in a shortened season like this, like you could probably get 10 games out of him and he would give you a, a couple quality starts and hopefully steal a few for you. He, he looked pretty good. He just doesn't quite have the same fluid mobility that you used to see out of him. 
Um, he's such a technical butterfly goalie. Mm-hmm. And you can see him really using his like smarts and positioning, but it, you know, all the smarts and the positioning in the world can't, it just can't always bail you out when, when injuries and, and age and things like that catch up with you. So I, I think he's got enough left in the tank that he can still give you a few good starts this year. And another guy that you've covered and, and, and gotten to know really well, Andy Green has become, yeah. you know, he's sort of, Mr., <laughs> in a way, Mr. Islander. I mean, I it's, it's funny. He's only played like 13, 14 regular season games for the team, but it seems like he's been here forever. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just Andy. When you talk to Andy, it's just, it, you feel like you've known him forever, but he's also been around the league forever. I mean, <laughs> he's what, 38, 37, 38? 38 now, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, he, I, I asked so many, so many guys last year, like what struck them about Andy and they all said preparation and same with Travis Zajac, Zajac, Zajac and Andy Green would show up at the same time every day. They'd be looking at video. And at one point, uh, Travis would be, Travis shows up early to look at, um, face off video. And John Hines was telling him, was telling Nico Heischer two years ago, look what Travis is doing and how he's preparing. So they obviously did the same devils have been doing the same thing with um, guys like Damon Severson and Ty Smith the last couple of years telling them, watch what Andy does. Well, you know, Andy's done a great job of helping some of these young guys and being in a position where he was able to sort of protect them in some down years, but now he gets to go play for, play for a team where, you know, he, the heat is sort of off him and he's still taking center stage. Andy's just, he's just a, he's a great easygoing guy. He's really, He's easy to play with. He's easy in the room. He's 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 an asset for any locker room. And a, and a great leader. I mean, when he yeah. was captain of the Devils, I mean, he was he he went through some rough seasons with the Devils. And as captain, he was always at his locker stall yep. after the game. Um, you know, win, lose, good, bad, indifferent. He was always there. Um, and he was always able to sort of like temper temper things. If it was a really bad loss, he was, he just sort of held the same demeanor and it was, you know what? Yes, this was bad. And here's why we were bad. Here's how we can get better tomorrow. And he, like I said, he took a lot of heat off the young guys, but there was, it was never any like, Oh, sky is falling from him. And he was, I think that attitude also helps keep guys at a certain level. Yeah. And and you talk about mentoring young guys and now with the Islanders being paired with Noah Dobson, who's 21 and really just still learning who he is going to be as a player. And Andy has kind of taken over the mentorship of him. Uh, Noah Dobson, you know, lived with Dennis Seidenberg's family for a while, and Dennis was a great mentor. And then, you know, a little bit of pairing with Johnny Boychuk and, you know, being in the locker stall next to, to Johnny last season, you know, Johnny mentored him. And now you got Andy Green. So, I mean, Noah is learning from three of the really – you know, fine human being, veteran defenseman, you you can get in this league. When when you do look at the Islanders, you know, I know you concentrate, you know, a little bit more on the Devils, but you're you're kind of you know like focusing on all three teams. What what is what's been your initial impressions of what you've seen out of the Islanders so far this season? The same thing I said earlier, structure, which is a Barry yeah. Trotz team. I mean, yeah. you look at what he did in Washington, and they stay very structured. It's like no matter what the situation is, no matter how badly things go wrong, a Barry Trotz team always knows how to fall back into the right positioning to get the ship 
righted again, to get it going again. Uh, that's, uh, there's, the Islanders have some stars. I mean, uh, you know, Barzal, but it, on a Trotz team, Trotz had Ovechkin, but other than, you just don't, you don't notice the stars quite as much because on a Trotz team, it's like everybody's playing the most important role. Everybody's equal and they're very smart and disciplined. That's it carried right over from his Washington years. That's what I noticed about the Islanders last season. And, and still that first game at MSG, it was like, Within five minutes, it, yep, this is a trots team. They are very structured, very disciplined, and they know what they're doing. Yeah, and it should be, a, you know, I know the Islanders didn't necessarily score much their last two games, but, uh, you know, it should be, I would think, some low-scoring tight games between the Islanders and Devils here because I, I think that's that's certainly how the Islanders are going to play this season. I know Lindsay, uh, Lindy Ruff with, you know, how he wants to teach defense. He doesn't uh-huh. want to get into any track meets either. So I, I suspect that it'll probably come down to goaltending these two games. Yeah. I mean, those are two of the best young goaltenders in the league. If it, if it does end up being Sorokin instead of Varlamov, uh, at some point I would imagine this year, we're going to see Blackwood and, and Sorokin. We have to, I, right? Yeah, we, we, we might see that. Well, they play Thursday at the Coliseum. We might see that. Saturday at the Rock, it's just t- tough to take Varlamov out of the game when he keeps pitching a shutout. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Obviously, as I said, you're a national writer, you're a former Mets beat writer um, as well. And I know you've been all over the Mets stuff today. And, uh, you know, it just seems like such an important topic that everything else really becomes trivial because. I mean, I know there have been so many gains in sports, but it, it, professional sports across the board still seems like such an old boys network. And I, I'm wondering, you know, what your thoughts were as you're, as you're working on this story today. Obviously, Mets GM Jared Porter fired after 37 days for his pursuit of a female reporter via, you know, unwanted texts. I'm just wondering what your thoughts were as, as you're reporting and writing this story. So my first thoughts were Steve Cohen took very decisive action um, as the owner. It was 7.30 this morning. He decided to let Porter go. And I'm not sure with previous ownership that it would have been that quick. I think in the past, the Mets had a tendency to let these stories air out for a few days, which really only made the situation worse. You know, this was a pretty big test for Steve or for uh, Jared, Steve Cohen. Oh, I'm getting all the names mixed up right now. For Steve Cohen, his first big test as the owner, and I think he he made the right decision, um, and he he said the right things about character and this being something that was completely unacceptable. But at the same time, it also shows you that the culture in baseball is sort of pervasive in that you know, the Mets are trying to exercise their past demons and change their culture. And then they bring in a guy who does something like this uh, un, you know, they didn't know about this until yesterday, obviously, but this just shows uh, sort of how pervasive the culture is in baseball sometimes. And, and they, they did not interview any women when it came to hiring Jared Porter because there were no women in the front office to interview uh, what they could have done though. And what I think this could be a lesson for all teams in pro sports you know, when you're doing your due diligence and you're interviewing candidates, if there are no women in the front office, well, why not interview the secretary? Why not interview a beat writer or, you know, a a regional writer? Why not interview other women who have interacted with him on a professional basis? I think 
maybe the old boys club, you know, the pat on the back and, and hey, this guy's great. You should hire him. I don't think that's enough anymore. Just because you grew up in baseball and you have lots of friends in baseball and lots of great recommendations in baseball or in any sport. Mm-hmm. It's time to change sort of the hiring processes and it's time to really look at the culture and see what the root of it is and how we can change that moving forward. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I do agree. I, I think all professional sports, even though there are now, you know, uh, women coaches in the NBA and, you know, you see the referees and the NFL has taken strides to, to integrate women into the coaching and the scouting and all that. And obviously Kim Ang with the uh, Miami Marlins taking over as the GM, um, you know, with the Islanders, obviously the broadcast crew, Shannon and AJ, yep. do a, mm-hmm. a fantastic job. Um, yeah, yeah. I I remember talking to Shannon about this and it shouldn't be that, you know, oh, the Islanders have great women sportscasters. It should just be that they have great sportscasters. And it's almost, you know, secondary that, you know, Shannon and AJ just happen to be women. You know, they have the knowledge. It it shouldn't be, oh my God, look at these women talking about hockey. I, I don't know. You, you've obviously, you know, you know, California and now here on the East Coast, you've been all over the hockey world as well. Do you kind of sense that old boys network, you know, pervasive in hockey as well? Yes, I would say that the culture is a little bit different in that, um, you know, there we talk about hockey robots, the, you know, the Canadian sort of hockey robots. Oh, I got to get pucks in deep. And there's just that there is sort of it. Hockey has its own culture where you do just sort of fall in line. I mean, there isn't a ton of diversity in hockey and diversity is important in business and media and in sports for so many reasons. I mean, without diversity, you're getting the same perspective, the same person over and over. That's why we, we get the same quotes. Sometimes we get the same pucks and deep quotes sometimes. And on one hand, we do just want to be, you know, I don't want to be known as a woman sports writer. I just want you to know me as a sports writer. But at the same time, I do bring a different perspective as a woman, as a West coaster who didn't grow up in, a diehard hockey family or in a diehard hockey region. I saw the rise of the Kings and, and the Ducks and how that impacted the communities there and brought in a generation of new fans, which is great. But it is hard to integrate those new perspectives sometimes. We've got to figure out why, because that's the question. If we figure out why it's hard to integrate new perspectives, then we can figure out how to change it. But until we understand why, it's going to be much different to change it. You know, I, I think in general, you know, you, you hope the needle is being moved. And obviously, you know, it's unfortunate that it takes an, an incident like this to get people to talk about it a little bit more. Do you, do you see this Jared Porter being fired here as, you know, some kind of watershed moment? Or, or is this just going to kind of fade into the wind a little bit? That's a good question. And I, I you know, to be honest, I've, I've talked with several women um, in the last over today and last night, I think I went to bed at 3 a.m. I was on a couple group texts with other women in media. Um, we've been asking ourselves the same question because what happens is this, these things are swept under the rug because we don't have job security. How can we get to a point where we're okay with reporting these things without retribution, without either being ostracized from the industry completely or losing our jobs? How do we get to a point where we're comfortable saying those things? Um, Mm -hmm. What systems are in place that might allow us to do that? I think more women need to be in leadership positions. I think it would be, I know for me, it would be more comfortable um, if I had women to 
to go to. I mean, I've had one woman as a, um, as a manager in my career, just one. I had a producer at Fox Sports who was a woman and we had a really great relationship and I felt like I was able to take things to her that I was struggling with or uncomfortable with or comfortable with. I was just more comfortable to pitch ideas and things like that, not even anything that went wrong. Um, and otherwise, I've always worked under men and it's, it's definitely a different situation. And I think if we have more women in hiring positions, it's, you know, they're going to see that women are great leaders. And the, I mean, just by default, that changes the culture of all men having women in higher positions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And, and listen, Abby, I, I really appreciate your insight into, into all of this. It was great seeing you at the garden the other day, and hopefully I'll see you at the rink uh, in these coming days as well. Oh yeah. You can't get rid of me that easy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one's, no one's trying. <laughs> Get the latest on the New York Islanders when you sign up to receive text alerts all season long. Newsday's Andrew Gross will text you real-time analysis and behind-the-scenes reporting for $4.99 a month. Go to newsday.com slash Isles Text to get started or text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or online at newsday.com slash Isles Text. It's always good connecting with Abby. You know, I'm glad she has found a home at Bleacher Report, uh, sort of a new role for her as a national writer doing both hockey and baseball. But, uh, you know, knowing Abby, I know she's going to really do a great job there. So, uh, as always, it's it's good to connect with you guys. Um, And we're going to do that now because you have some questions. It's time for your questions with Andrew's Answers. And the first topic here... You got a, a bunch of questions on this. Is the goalies, the Islanders are, are carrying three goalies here with Varlamov and Ilya Sorokin and also uh, former Devils number one, Corey Schneider, who's looking to resurrect his career as uh, Abby and I talked about. So three goalies on the roster and... Uh, here we go uh, with some questions. And again, uh, first few here, uh, the first three are coming via Newsday's Islanders texts. And I'll give you that information after we get through this segment on how to sub- subscribe if you so wish. But uh, Michael uh, Tricarico, Tricarico, I hope I got that right, um, wants to know, with Sorokin's less-than-stellar initial start, I would like to know what his role looks like going forward. Does that change things at all? And uh, I, I do not think so at all, Michael. I, I really don't. Uh, Barry Trotz talked after the game about how unfair it was to Ilya to get thrown in like that. Um, wouldn't surprise me if uh, he maybe gets the start at New Jersey on Sunday. Uh, I, I don't think you can take Varley out or coming you know, <laughs> off his performance Monday. But uh, I, I think you see Sorokin in net probably sooner rather than later. And also via the texting service, Al Payone asks, uh, do you think at any point we will see Corey Schneider in NHL action? And I do. I don't think, you know, I don't think Corey's going to get a ton of games this season. I mean, you know, I I think we're talking about, you know, maybe in the three to five range, uh, if that, and possibly less. Um, 
if if the two goalies remain healthy. But I, I think at some point uh, that they, they will give uh, Corey a, a taste of the net. Um, and finally, uh, via uh, the texting service, Mark Rodway wants to know, uh, it's been mentioned that the team is carrying three goalies. Do you think this will affect Varley and Sorokin the way it did uh, Halak and Grice uh, when they had J.F. Uh, Barubi also? I know Halak was not happy about it. I did go back and uh, read up on those, uh, you know, uh, from 2015-17, those two seasons where uh, then GM Garth Snow carried the three goalies and Yarrow Halak's agent was going off on Twitter about it and, uh yeah, no, that this situation is not that situation. Let me make that clear. This is this is purely a, a COVID related thing where you know you never you never know who is going to be available. Honestly, you don't know who's going to be available on a game to game basis. And uh, you know, goalie being the most important position, you don't want to get caught short there. And when I say caught short. You know, Christopher Gibson is no longer in the organization. Corey Schneider is the insurance policy. But uh, Corey also, to be reassigned to the taxi squad, uh, would need to be passed through waivers. And, and Lou Lamarillo just is not willing to risk that. You saw the Maple Leafs the other day lose uh, Aaron Dell to the Devils, uh, you know, who are searching for goaltending help as Abby and I discussed, because of uh, Corey Crawford's uh, kind of sudden retirement there. So the the Islanders don't want to lose Schneider. He's too valuable as an insurance policy. Um, So, you know, Barry Trotz has indicated that it's going to be three goalies on the roster, probably through the whole season. And and I think, you know, unlike... Uh, the three-headed monster the Islanders went with, went with, with Halak, uh, Barubi, and Grice. I, I think this situation has been explained much better. In fact, I know it's been explained much better um, to, to certainly to Corey Schneider, and I'm sure, uh, you know, uh, Varley and Sorokin, they all have been given their marching orders, and they all know what their role is. Uh, within this. And it's certainly Varley, you know, is going to probably be given a chance to keep the net, uh, you know, uh, Sorokin will get his starts. And then if needed, Schneider will be there. Um, Let's see a couple of via Twitter uh, for Andrew's answers. James wants to know, do I think Barry should have started Schneider when Varley got hurt in warmups, a veteran, uh, in a spot start could have done much better than a rookie in his first game. And, and to be honest, uh, you know, no, I, I don't think Barry should have done that. I, I think, you know, Ilya Sorokin has been brought here for a reason. You know, we, we've been waiting, was it, you know, five years to see what this kid can do. Um, as I said, Corey is only an insurance. I, I know it was weird circumstances. I know Barry... Um, said it wasn't fair to throw Ilya in like that. But on the other hand, I, I don't know what it would have said to Ilya uh, if he hadn't been given a chance to play that game. So no, I, I, I think Trotz, Trotz did the best he could in that situation. And Sab wants to know, uh, do you think the plan is to have Sorokin prepare for his next start versus the Flyers back-to-back? Or since his shaky surprise debut, is there... 
a chance we see Schneider in the pipes at all this early in the season. And I, no, I, I don't think we're going to Corey this early in the season. Um, and, and as I said, I I would think maybe Sorokin has a chance to start Sunday at New Jersey. Um, also, um, Melissa wants to know uh, my thoughts about Sorokin's start. Um, and, and here are my thoughts, Melissa, and thank you again for, uh, for your question and being so, uh, loyal here. Um, I was a little shocked at, at two of the goals he gave up. I thought the first one, you know, his, his arm didn't seem as tight to his body as maybe it could have been. And, and again, I will, uh, remind you, I am not a goalie coach, nor do I play one on a podcast, or, or I guess maybe I am playing a goalie coach on a podcast. But, uh, you know, I, I thought his his glove arm could have been closer to his body there. Um, and then uh, it was on Buchnevich's shot from the left where uh, Sorokin dipped his knee and really left his his left shoulder side exposed, and Buchnevich just rifled it up and over. And, uh, you know, Buch uh, took the space that was given to him. I, I think, you know, that's that's a part of Sorokin learning the angles here in North America a little bit better. Uh, he needed to be, again, playing goalie coach on a podcast. I think he needed to be a little more aggressive, cut off that angle, and not give uh, Pavel Buchnevich anything to shoot at. Um, I, I thought Ilya, in the game, he was at his best on the penalty kill. Uh, there, there were several where, you know, he, he did look, you know, in position and he seemed to, you know, see the puck through traffic, which uh, if you go back a couple of podcasts, uh, my my chat with AJ Malesko, we, we were talking about how tough, you know, that adjustment will be to see through NHL traffic. So I, I thought there were, you know, some bright spots within the 60 minutes, um, but also a lot of, you know, learning lessons for Ilya in that game. Um Moving on, we have a Josh Hosang question, and uh, um, Josh, uh, you know, his Islanders career with another uh, twist as he is loaned out to the Swedish Hockey League this time. He will not be in the AHL. Um, so the uh, <laughs> the aptly named Island Ice, um, and this is again, uh, I'm taking this question uh, via uh, uh, Newsday's Islanders texts, uh, Island Ice, uh, texted a question to me. Um, what was the point of re-upping Josh Hosang just to loan him out to the Islanders then not have to pay him? Are they just hoping he performs well and someone trades a pick for him? Well, I, I don't think anyone's trading for Josh Hosang. Um, I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of answers on Josh Hosang at this point. Um, I for sure thought this offseason was going to be it for Josh Hosang with the Islanders. You know, color me shocked that the Islanders re-upped him as a restricted free agent. I know they were, you know, sort of surprised he filed for arbitration there. Um, a, a lot of weirdness, honestly, to me with, you know, not just, you know, from the first day when Josh got here, but just since Lou has taken over, it, it just really seems like Josh is, is not a Lou Lamarillo type of guy. I, I don't know if something else happened here. Um, 
I, I don't know if this was the plan all along. I, I really would love to get an explanation on it, but uh, so far, uh, nothing. Um, uh, let's see, moving on, uh, a couple of roster questions. The first one via, again, Newsday's Islanders text from Marcy Cohen. Uh, what roster move do you think they move uh, if they activate Michael Dalcal off IR? Um, maybe it's something like uh, Ross Johnson, uh, who would have to clear waivers, gets reassigned for now to the taxi squad. Uh, if he's not going to be in the lineup, uh, uh, maybe it's Leo Komarov, uh, you know, who who has cleared waivers. Uh, that would probably be a move if if Leo's not going to play, get him to the uh, to the uh, taxi squad. But that that that's you know, those are the first two I, I would think of. Um, I would think maybe Leo Komarov would be, uh, you know, I know Barry loves his penalty killing, but. Uh, it, it, if he's not getting into the lineup, then Leo can't help you on the penalty kill, right? So, and he's already cleared waivers, so uh, that would be an easy move for them. Um, Jeff via Twitter asks, "What can we gather from Pajot being more broadly applied throughout the lineup in these first three games? You know, an example standing in for Martin on the fourth line at times, and as I mentioned up top on this episode, I, I think what we can gather is." Uh, uh, Trotz doesn't have the, you know, hasn't settled on the, the right wings or, and, and the left wing, you know, the correct wings for, uh, Pajot yet. He hasn't, uh, been convinced by anyone that these are the guys, you know, uh, Ross Johnson and Kiefer Bellows both, both played right around six and a half minutes in that one, nothing, uh, a win over the uh, the Bruins. I think they each got one shift in the third period, if my memory serves. I think, uh, yeah, you know, um, you know, and like I said, Trotz is much more comfortable having four lines to roll, and really, he was he was going with ten forwards against the Bruins, and, and you know that that's not sustainable. So. Um, Doc Ed asks, I see that Dalcal is skating in Ross's spot. Uh, that was at Tuesday's, uh, um, practice with Oliver Wallstrom in the extra group. Assuming Dalcal comes off IR, do you view him as the first choice for, uh, you know, uh, that third line right wing? Uh, would you vote, uh, the depth chart for that spot as MDC, uh, then Ross, then Wallstrom? When does Wallstrom get a chance to play, and I've uh, squeezed a lot into uh, four lines there, Doc Ed. Good job. Um, I, I think based on the way they practice, and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens Wednesday, obviously, but yeah, I, I think Dal Call gets the next chance on that line. Wallstrom on the taxi squad right now. Uh, of course, you know, he can come up and down at, at any time. Uh, you know, they just have to move someone else uh, down. Um, as far as what I'm voting, how would I vote it? You know, yeah, I, I would, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to see Wallstrom get a shot here. I, I, I think the Islanders certainly need that, that scoring threat. And I'm, I'm really curious to see how he would do from Peugeot. But as far as when Wallstrom gets a shot, well, you know, if Dal Cal goes in on, uh, on Thursday, and, you know, he's only getting those six and a half, seven and a half minutes. Well, I, I think Barry's going to keep searching, and I think he might search on Sunday. Um, 
Let's see. Joshua Hill says, would the Islanders ever move Ebbs to the third line to replace Johnson and put uh, Wallstrom on the first line? Well, not right now. Uh, you know, Wallstrom's got to get into the lineup first. But a- as I mentioned at the top, yeah, I, I think Trotz is going to have to consider uh, getting someone with Pajot that they can finish a low bit. And I think Ebbs is, uh, uh, Jordan Eberle is certainly a, a candidate. Uh, as I mentioned up top, we, we have a power play question, and this is from uh, via Twitter from uh, David Strauss, who says, at what point does a guy who many of us considered the best coach in hockey figure out why the power play hasn't worked for years? I know the skill level isn't high, but plenty of other teams without superstars have stronger power plays. It likely cost us a trip to the finals. And, you know, wh- what... What Barry's trying to do, and it's not just Barry, Lane Lambert, certainly with a, a big hand in this. Um, if you notice on that first unit, he's got Noah quarterbacking up top, and that allows Ryan Pulak, uh, um, to, to also a right-hander, to kind of slide over to that left side, sort of uh, in that Alex Ovechkin-like role, where you set up, you know, high left circle, and you can one time it because uh like you know like the like Ovi is uh Pooley uh is a right hander so so you know Dobson can set him up for that one timer right there and i I think if they could get that going and then you have you know Barzell uh skating around and hopefully being more focused with the puck and uh you know you got Andrews Lee um who who can bang away at the crease and you know, I, I, I think they have high hopes that uh, moving Pulak to that slot is going to pay a lot of dividends. It's a little different this season. So, you know, again, three games, two for 17. Um, no preseason games to work on this stuff. I'm going to err uh, on, on the side of giving them a, a few more games uh, before, you know, <laughs> I... I, I, I hit the uh, send button on the power play stinks uh, story that, you know, uh, probably will be written if, if this kind of percentage goes, keeps going. And lastly, uh, via Twitter, a uh, question from straight edge, Travis from MySpace, who wants to know when the Islanders move to Belmont, will they bring Sparky or will they get a new mascot? When the Islanders are at Belmont, will we rebrand the hat trick and call it a triple crown and throw horseshoes or plastic horses onto the ice instead of hats? Well, look, uh, throwing horseshoes or plastic horses onto the ice, that's, you know, that's not a branding thing or anything like that. That's up to you fans. I mean, it's cute, you know, and uh, if you want to do that, I, I think, you know, yeah, you got octopi in Detroit. Why can't there be a... Now, now, you know, hear me out here. Please do not throw a real horseshoe onto the ice. You know, I'm listening to myself talking. It's going to be cute. You're talking plastic horseshoes or, or plastic horses. And actually, you know what? Don't throw a plastic horse because uh, that, that could hurt someone. You know, you know what? As I go through this, stick with the hats, honestly. Um, or, or something soft, something nice and soft, you know, 
<laughs> a, a rubber horse, maybe, maybe not a hard plastic horse, but I, I, I get where you're going with that. And sure, you want me to rebrand a hat trick, a triple crown at Belmont? Uh, I'm, I'm in for that. Um, you know, uh, I have this off the record, but I, I think Sparky is just, you know, two years into a tour, whatever he's in. He's on like a seven year deal here. So, uh, you know, they, 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 they can't buy him out and, uh, you know, uh, they can't, you know, I don't, I don't think the Seattle Kraken are going to be drafting Sparky in the, uh, in the expansion draft. So I, I do believe Sparky will wind up at UBS arena at Belmont park. And with that, we come to the end of episode 65. Thank you everyone for contributing. And again, um, if you haven't, if you want to take a look, uh, Newsday's new service, uh, Newsday Islanders text. And again, that's either text 631-303-3766 to subscribe, or just go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to sign up. And I will talk to you there. And I will talk to you on the next episode of Island Ice. And until then, happy hockey, everybody.